It'll be hard to follow that. <laughs> okay, um, turn to Joe, please. I don't have pictures. I just have, I have this. That's all I got. I, I don't do pictures. That's kind of funny because, like, a lot of uh, preachers and stuff use, like, stuff, like, objects and stuff to teach with cool. and stuff. Amy loves that kind of thing. I'm not. I still love your teaching, darling. I'm just... Maybe I'll work I into no that someday. Be you. That's what <sighs> I'm to do. Be yeah. you. Okay, so I wanted to talk about the book of Job. And I've been kind of wanting to do it for a while. Because um, for me, um, it was kind of hard for me to understand um, in the beginning. And I think a lot of us kind of struggle with it sometimes and, and things. I mean, I think we know the overall general thing, how, you know, God's with us in our suffering and, and things like that. And I really kind of struggle with how to teach it, you know. I, I, I thought for a little bit about just really going in-depth with it. I mean, there's 30-something chapters, and, and, like, you know, you could spend probably weeks doing it. But then the more you look at it, the more you begin to see that there's patterns to it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like... Um, We'll get into it more, but basically, um, it's Job, and Job's talking, and he's venting, and he's talking about the things that God's doing in his life, and how it's affecting him, and then his friends are retorting back to him, and trying to teach him, and trying to show him different things, and so basically, the whole book is just that kind of back and forth between Job and his friends, and things, and um, so, but... Yeah, so I thought that maybe we'd take a couple weeks and just kind of go through the book and, and try to uh, really kind of break it down and stuff. And, um, you know, one thing about the book of Job is that many people, although nobody knows for sure, no one knows who wrote it. A lot of people think Moses did. Some people think Solomon did. Um, but nobody knows for sure who wrote the book of Job. And a lot of people think that it's the oldest book in the Bible. A lot of people think that it was written before anything else was written. And I find that really interesting because if you read the book of Job, has everybody actually read it? Yep. Everyone? Okay, good, good. Um, if you read it, to me, it's as far as structure, as far as uh, getting into the nuances of, of human interaction, how we as human beings interact with each other and man's search for God, I think it is one of the most um, just... Huh? Interesting. Not interesting. I mean, Portrayal. it is interesting, but I think it's just one of the most, you know, it's like Shakespeare. You read Shakespeare and how he gets into the way that people interact with each other. And it's just, to me, I, I don't think there's any other writer outside of the Bible. And the book of Job is like that in that it just really goes through the nuances in it. And the thing is, is it, uh, like I say, a lot of people believe it was the first book of the Bible written. And what I find about that interesting is that it's as still as relevant now as it was then. Because a lot of times what we think is like ancient people were different from us, right? We think that they were maybe dumber or we think they weren't as advanced in things and that they were somehow different. But the fact of the matter is, is human beings have never changed. Human beings are the way that human beings have always been. Human beings will be the same way that human beings will always be because we were created in the image of God. And when God created us, he said, it is good. So when God created us, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't this, um, this, um, what's the word? 
Where it wasn't this evolutionary thing where, okay, man was created as these dumb creatures and somehow we're evolving and we're getting, we're getting better and better all the time. It wasn't that at all. When God created man, he created him in the likeness of God and he said, this is good. And so, again, this was probably, or as far as we know, one of the, the first book of the Bible ever written. And yet when you read it, you see these people are just like me. These people have the same struggles that I have. These people have the same, uh, the same friends. And more than anything is they have the same search for God that we have now. And especially when we experience trials, especially when we, we experience hard things, the question is, God, where are you in this? And that's the whole thing that, that as we explore the book of Job, that is the underlying question of the book. And that is the question in the heart of man now. What is God like? Who is God? Where is God when I'm suffering? Why does God allow suffering? Right? And so, again, what's interesting to me is that the first book of the Bible that was written, if in, case, in fact that's true, it was written to address those answers that man is still seeking for now. So, um, and, and when we read the book of Job, we're, what we're looking, at is, we're looking at is a snapshot. I mean, you can't say this is a model for everybody's suffering in every situation. So, you know, that's one thing that we have to be careful about. When you read the book of Job, you can't say, okay, well, Satan is buffeting me every time you, you know, your car runs out of gas or you have a bad day at work. You can't say this, you can't attribute this to Satan or, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But the thing that I find interesting is that through all of our trials, through all of our suffering, when our car breaks down, when we have a crappy day, when, we, when things don't work out the way that we want them to do, there is a purpose in that. And the purpose is, is that God is bringing us to maturity. And I wrote at the top of my Bible, I wrote Romans 8.28. Right? Because if you think of the book of Job in that context, and that's the scripture that says, uh, we know that, let's actually turn there. Romans chapter 8, if you'll hold your place in Job. Because again, this is one of those scriptures that we kind of quote half of the scripture mm -hmm. and we leave out the rest of it. And it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to, okay, so... We, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, when we are in the circumstance, when we are in the fires, when we are in the, the temptation, when we're in the, the, the terrible day, when, when our spouse is fighting with us, when, when our boss is mad at us, when we're about to lose our job, we're like, where's God? And, you know, and we know by reading scripture that it says God causes all things to work together for good. Number one, to those who love God... <clears throat> To those who are called according to his purpose. Now again, the people in the world, every time something happens, the wildfires or, you know, uh, storms happen or um, people get divorced or, or people get killed or, you know, all the bad things that are in the world. The first thing that people ask is, where is God in this situation? Why does God allow these things to happen? Well, in the first place, God causes all things to work to good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes, right? And, um, and the thing is, when we are in those situations, turn back to Job, when we are in those situations, we're, we, we can't see, right? 
And so that's why I wrote that scripture at the top of this heading, because Job was in the fires. Job was in these terrible situations, and he could not see God in at work in those situations. And, um, and that's the thing that we have to always remember is that no matter what we're going through, the trials, the temptations, the situations, the storms, God is there in that. Now, and I think that as we read the book, we'll see that God wasn't causing the things to happen to Job. But, and that, that's the thing. We, again, when things happen in the world, people say, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this to happen? A lot of times, God is not the author of what's happening in our lives. But at the same time, God is working to make that work to our good, no matter how bad it is, no matter in... Uh, you know, no matter how bad the situation is, God is there and he is trying to make it, trying to shape us. And a lot of times it's that simple fact that he's trying to get us to turn in the right direction, you know, and no, no, you don't want to go that way. And we're fighting the fighting him the whole time and he's trying to turn us. You know, it's just like Jonah. God wants us to go here, but we want to go here. And it's like Paul, when God came and struck Paul down, he says, why? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So God is trying to take a goad and, and pointing in this direction, but Paul's trying to go in the other direction. And so many times, a lot of our situation, a lot of the trials are self-inflicted mm -hmm. because we're fighting against what God wants us to do. And sometimes that's not even related to whatever trial we're going through. He's just trying to turn us in a certain direction and this particular trial will make you turn in this direction for something completely different. Does that make any sense? Like, he may, I don't know, like if he wanted us, if he wanted us to leave Hawaii, Becca getting asthma from the volcano was a way that God got us out of Hawaii. Yeah. It wasn't that, you know, like it wasn't related really, but it was a way that he could get us to move out of Hawaii. Yeah. So, so just sometimes it's not even related to what you would, and there's a lot of times that things happen in our lives that don't make sense. There's a lot of times that things happen in our lives that are really, really difficult, really, really hard. But late, years later, when we look back on that circumstance, when we look back on the things that we were going through, we know that those things were the things that God was using to make us what we are now. Amen. And, Amen. you know, and that's the tough thing because... You know, again, we, we always want the soft, easy, cushy cross and stuff. And, and you know, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Now, in the modern church, we think, you know, that means you got to pick up your cross every once in a while, you know, and just do what you want to do and stuff. And so, you know, discipline is something that the church has lost. Discipline is something that we as Americans in the 21st century have definitely lost. Um, any, you know, anything that has to do with discipline, anything that has to do with doing the hard thing, we don't want that. We want to always take the easy way. We're like water. Water always goes to the easiest path and, and stuff. And, and God's whole purpose is to make us something, just like you were speaking about earlier, God wants us to be the best version of what he's created us to be. Yeah. God is not happy you know, with us just sticking in our ruts with us being, well, this is the way I was when I got saved 10 years ago. Um, you know, if a, if a baby is born and he's the same way he was 10 years ago, there is something wrong with that child, right? So let's start reading in chapter 1. Um, Job 1, or yeah, 
chapter 1, verse 1. It says, There's a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now again, a lot of times the first thing that happens is whenever we're experiencing trials, whenever we're experiencing hard times, we're like, God, why are you mad at me? Right? Now, and a lot of, if there is sin in our lives, there's a lot of times when there is stuff that God is dealing with. There's a lot of times when God is disciplining on us. There's times when he's chastening us in things. But there's also times when it's not because of what we did. It's not because I did something wrong or anything like that. Verse 2, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men in the east. He was filthy rich. Mm -hmm. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the day of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three th sisters to eat and drink with him. Um, it just continues to talk about all that kind of stuff. Um, Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now again, we live in a time when, when um, all the worldly wise people are, are wanting to do away with Satan. And even in the church, there's a lot of people that, that speak of Satan as it's just an influence. You know, Satan is just this influencer, but he's not this real person, you know. And the thing is, is there is a tempter. There is a person who is alive and well on planet Earth, who wants to destroy the people of God simply because they are the people of God, because they follow God. In verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, Where do you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Look at what the Lord does. It's almost like, um, it's almost like the Lord is like uh, trash-talking Satan, Right? It's like, look at my servant Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. So again, we see that Job is not being punished because he's, he has sin in his life. He's not being punished because there's compromise. He's not being disciplined by the Lord. God's, God himself out of his mouth is saying to Satan, he is an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. So again, it's not just that he's, he's living, a, you know, he got saved and now he goes to church and he does good deeds. He's turning. It's a continual thing. He's turning away from evil. In other words, he is trying, he's being perfected. He is, he is trying to live, you know, more and more closer to God. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and, and, all, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. In other words, you can do whatever you want to, but spare his life. And so again, Satan comes specifically to God and says, I want, he's like, if, if you allow me to destroy this man's life, he will curse you to your face. And so again, when we are in these tough situations, when we struggle, and it's just human nature, right? Even we as believers do it a lot of times. Whenever we're experiencing hard times, whenever we're experiencing trials, we're like, God, why are you doing this to me? And I don't know about you, but I have had periods in my life when I have been mad at God. 
And I think that I, I'm not condoning it, and I'm not saying that that's what the way that it should be, but I think in some senses that's kind of the path that we have to go through in some ways. Even with Jesus' disciples, when he said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It says many of his disciples stopped following him from that point. And Jesus didn't just lighten up. He said to, his, he said to the 12, you want to leave too, <laughs> right? right? And so, and like, you know, I mean, put yourself in their situation. I mean, Peter goes, Lord, where else can we go, essentially? But you know, in their hearts, they had to be a little bit peeved about that. It's like, you're just going to, you're going to, you know, that's the thing. We look at the Bible, and again, we look at it in a sanitized way. But if you're one of those disciples, and again, those, those disciples were different from we are. I mean, you see the way that they're squabbling amongst each other, the way that they're fighting for position, and the way that, you know, they want to, you know, even uh, James and John's mother is trying to get them to be seated on Jesus' right hand and stuff. So these guys had human, uh, I don't want to say human, but they had like passions and emotions like we are. So you know that they had to be angry about this situation. Yes? I have a question. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, when God said that to Satan, like, was he saying, okay, here you go, I'm going to, like, do, I'm going to give you the authority to do what you want to do, except basically hurt him or whatever. Yeah. Like, was he saying, well, you already have the authority on the earth to do that? Um, well, we see that, number one, he didn't have authority without God allowing it mm -hmm. to. And I think that one of the lessons that we'll learn through the book is that even though God did not make it happen, mm -hmm. that, again, like Romans eight twenty eight, God causes those things to work for good. I think that God did have a plan through it. Mm -hmm. And that plan was to bring Job to a different place that he had not experienced, Right. And again, I, I think that that's one of the great lessons of the book is that God will allow trials. He will allow suffering. He will allow tribulation in our lives to perfect us, to mold us. I mean, that's how steel is perfected, right? It's refined um, and, and you, have to, you have to send it into, you have to heat it, you know, till it's, uh, you know, and then you beat it and you, you let the impurities rise to the top. And the only way that happens is through that heating process. So, so yeah, I think that, that I think that, uh, again, God had a plan through it and, you know, God allowed Satan to be kind of his puppet, you know, mm -hmm. so. Okay, so we, we all kind of know the story about how Job, Job's sons and daughters were eating and the house fell on them and it killed them and their oxen and donkeys were out there and they were taken and their daughters and, and so all this really, really bad stuff happens to Job. We've all, we've all read that, right? And then in verse 21, or verse 20, it says, Now Job had lost everything. And for the most part, I mean, we've all experienced trials and stuff. We've all experienced really hard things. But for the most part, I don't think any of us have experienced that kind of suffering, right? All of his sons and daughters were, died. His, every, all of his possessions were gone. And this was a man who was used to wealth. This was a man who was used to, to abundance. And he lost everything. I mean, it would be like if we lost our job, we lost our house, we lost our kids, we lost our, our cars, everything all in one shot. 
And in uh, verse 20, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. And again, this is one of the things that God is trying to bring us to. Um, he is trying to bring us to make us, to mold us into a people who can worship him no matter what their circumstances. Just like Paul and Silas, when they were thrown into the dungeon, they worshiped God. And again, we read the Bible and we're like, yeah, man, if I was there, you know, I would have been worshiping God too. You know, if you get beaten and you get thrown into a jail, most of us are going to be grumbling. Most of us are going to be complaining. God, why did you allow this to happen? Right? And again, part of God's process through us is to make us a people that can weather every storm. Make us a people who can go through any and every circumstance and worship Him. Paul said, I've, I've been, I've been abased and I've been uh, enriched and I've learned how to live basically in every situation, content and stuff. And so, um, yeah. And in verse 21, he says, He's naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In verse 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So, and here is the nature of trials, too, that I have noticed. <laughs> is that um, a lot of times we get hit by these things, right? And we're like, Oh my gosh, you know, and we're like, and we, we like, we, we stiffen our necks and we, we poke at our chins and we're like, Oh, I'm, I worship you God through this situation and I praise you through this. And then it rains more on us, right? Because we start worshiping God when we're thinking, okay, it can't get any worse than that, right? It's, I'm just going to praise God. It's going to get better. And so Job does that and it still continues to rain on him. So, and this is the nature of trials. And this is part of the thing too we have to realize is that a lot of times when we are going through that situation, when we, when we get over that first hump, a lot of times in life we, we cross a first hump and everything gets, gets better, right? And we, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. But there are times in your walk with God, there are times in your relationship, if you are truly becoming what He has called you to be, when you are in the dark night of the soul, when you are in the valley of the shadow of death, and there is no light anywhere, and there seems like it's never, ever going to end. And you're in that place and you're crying out to God. And at first you're like, oh, I worship you, God. I praise you and stuff like that. But after you've been there for a while, mm -hmm. it starts getting harder and harder. Right? Mm -hmm. This is the trial of God. This is the path that God will take us through if we truly want him. If we truly want to seek him. If what we say with our mouths is true in our heart, God will begin to lead us down this path purposefully because he is trying to get that pure gold. He is trying to get that, that hardened steel. He is trying to go for that best uh, version of us that he has created us to be. And that will never happen on mountaintop experiences. And that's what we want. It is our human nature. It is our American lifestyle that we want that mountaintop experience we want the best that we can be you watch the christmas commercials you know buy yourself this new lexus because you deserve it and stuff and this uh, this whole thing about what you deserve and we don't deserve anything but judgment 
We don't deserve anything but wrath, and God has mercy on us every day, right? And so, the, and so God is leading us through these trials, and he is leading us through these situations, these trials, this valley of the shadow of death, to bring us to that place where he has created us to be, to become the people. And the thing is, is again, we'll fight against that. We'll kick against it. We'll, we'll do anything to go through that and stuff. But God says, look, this you prayed those prayers. You said this is what you want to be. This is the path that you have to go through to be that. It's the path Jesus had to go through. It's the path that every holy, righteous man and woman of God in the Bible had to grow through these situations. Moses, where did he learn? Where did he find God? Not while he was the Egyptian prince, not while he was killing the guy and burying him in the sand. It's when he was on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, when he was serving sheep and, and God had forgotten all about him. And stuff, and it's in that point where God comes back to him and says, "Moses." Mm -hmm. um, verse two, or uh, chapter two, verse one. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, "Where have you come from?" Then Satan answered the Lord and said, "From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it." And the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job?" For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And listen to this. And he still, despite what you've done to him, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and spoke Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And then his wife said to him, his wife, his helpmate, his, his flesh and his bone, says to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> And I think we all have friends like that too, right? I mean, are you seriously going to keep going to that church? Are you seriously going to still keep praying? Are you seriously going to still keep following God? You're a little intense. You need to back off of that and your life will be better, right? He says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And again, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So, Job is doing really well. I mean, storm after storm is coming against him. His own wife is coming against him with her words, and he's still standing strong. In verse 11, it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all the adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the, Na the, the Naamathite. And they came, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. So, these are your typical churchgoers, right? I mean, they see the things that are going on in Job's life, and they're like, man, let's get together. Let's go and comfort him. Let's, let's do meals for him. You do Monday. I'll do Wednesday. You do Saturday and stuff. And they're coming, and they, their hearts are right, right? They, their desire is to help their friend. They see this, their friend in this bad situation, and they truly want to help him. They truly want to be there for him. It's not like they're like, hey, let's go make Joe's life even more hell. 
right? They truly want to help him. And a lot of church people want to help. A lot of church people want to be there, but they don't know how. They're misguided. They, they think, well, they, you know, we, we get, not they, we get in our minds, well, this is what God's doing. This is what, you know, and, and the whole thing that Job's friends had to learn is you don't just jump to conclusions. You don't just say, this is how I'm going to, you know, our pastor preached that, the, you know, you know, when someone's going through tough times, you got to give them tough love. You know, you got to go in there and kick them in the butt and tell them to get up and, and suck it up. And the thing is, a lot of times in the church, what we do is we have these formulas. Okay, well, if a person is in this situation, this is how you address it. If a person is this is in this situation, you got to address it like this and stuff. And, and the problem is, is that we're not hearing from God and we're not seeing the situation for what it truly is and reacting to that situation in a way that needs to be addressed. Like so many times we as believers, someone will be going through a, something and we'll just say, you know, what we've heard the pastor say, oh, God's going to bless you or God's, you know, God's got this, you know. And how many times are you going through a situation and someone says, oh, don't worry about it. God's got this. You know, it's like, I will slap you. <laughs> this does not help me at all, right? I mean, you want someone that's truly not just saying words and not just, oh, oh I'll, or the people that like are like, oh, I'll pray for you, brother. And you know that they got no intention whatsoever about praying for you, right? It's like, if you're going to pray for me, pray for me now. You know, do it. I mean, let's let's do it. Let's not just talk about it. I felt like that going through the the whole divorce thing and my husband and all that was going on and going to such a huge church and nobody really knew him or me. So, and they're starting, giving advice and they don't right. Even... They have no idea my character, who I am. At the beginning, I felt like if somebody had invested the time to actually figure out who we were, then their counsel would have been faster, better, more poignant yeah. than, you know, going through this crazy yeah. nonsense for mm -hmm. a year. And mm -hmm. so it was really painful, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, not being known. And that's mm -hmm. when I decided I, would, I need a smaller church just because I need people to have a clue who yeah. I am, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. And it, not that I'm more important than anybody else. I just need them to have a clue. Yeah, to know you. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and that's the thing is that, like, again, we get these boxes. Well, God hates divorce. Well, yeah, he does hate divorce, but he hates other things, too. I hate divorce. He hates spousal <laughs> abuse, right? He hates spousal abuse. Yeah. Amen. You know, and so, and that's the thing. We, 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 we go to the letter of the law rather than seeing why did God speak that, right? You know, it's like there was this time when... Early in our marriage and stuff, Amy and I were fighting. It's like two o'clock in the morning and stuff. And so I, I get, I think I had a motorcycle at the time. So anyway, I got in it and I took off and stuff. And I wasn't driving crazy or anything like that. I was driving the speed limit and everything. I come to a four-way stop sign. There's nobody for miles around and stuff. And and I did a California stop, right? I, and then took off and stuff. And this cop pulls over and gives me a ticket and stuff. And that's the letter of the law. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the laws are written for a society, and I'm not saying that I was right in doing it or anything <laughs> like that, but the laws are written for a society for reasons, right? Uh, you know, it's like, okay, that law is there so that if there's other cars coming, you're not going to get ran over or you're not going to run over somebody else. You know, it's like the speeding thing and stuff. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm just saying, you know, people look to the letter and stuff. Well, this scripture says this, you know, and, and stuff. And that's exactly what Job's friends do. Okay. Well, and, and too, it's like, you know, it's that, like that, um, when the disciples asked, like, oh, Jesus, who sins? This man is blind. Him or his parents? You can't be looking at my notes. Oh, well, I didn't look at your notes. <laughs> but yes, we will explore that together. <laughs> That's a joke. Huh? No. Okay. So in verse 12, it says, When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, look at this. I mean, they really have compassion on him. They raised their voices and they wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw his pain was very great. So again, what we're, we're, we're not saying that people, and, and that's the thing, church people, religious people, even us sometimes, don't do it on purpose. We don't, we don't set out to like, how can I make this person's life any worse? But the problem is, is we're not, we're not, we're not thinking. Right, and we're not being led by the Holy Spirit, and we're not judging rightly the situation. Now, the Bible talks about we are to have discernment; we are to judge with righteous judgment. We are we are to see the situation as it is, and to deal with it as it is, not as we think that it should be dealt with, not as we think the pastor would deal with it, or or the deacons, or nothing like that. But how is the Holy Spirit speaking for me through the scriptures that I've read and telling me how to deal with this situation? Um. Okay, hold your place there and turn to John chapter 1. Daniel, quit trying to... And again, uh, you know, these things happened to Job not because he was a wicked man or because he was toying with sin, but because he was a righteous man. And um, in John 1, like, like we always quote that scripture, right? God will never give us more than we can handle, right? Have you guys heard that scripture? Mm-hmm. Let's see. <laughs> that was just a trap because <laughs> that is not what the scripture <laughs> says. Exactly. Heard people exactly. say that. It says he hasn't given us any a temptation beyond that, which he hasn't given us an escape or something right. like that. But they, I totally butchered it, but I'll take it to me. Well, the the thing well, is, is kind of draw that logical conclusion because you're not going to have a trial that you can't overcome. Yeah, he's not going to give you a way to not grumble. I mean, if grumbling is a sin, yeah. he's not going to give you something that you can't find your way through. That he's not going to help you through. Right. So you can kind of make that conclusion. Yeah. But that's not. Well, <laughs> yeah, and the whole thing is, is that. See, the problem is, is that's being taught to a lot of people, right? It's like, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And the way that they say it is in that sense that, you know, God's, God's going to not give you too much and stuff. And if you go to that scripture, you see the whole thing about that is about temptation in the first place. And it's talking about with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. So it's not even talking about so much. I mean, it is in a kind of a, a side issue, but it's not so much talking about the trials and the temptation or the struggles that we go through and the things that are coming against our lives. 
Um, and, and the problem is, is again, we have a lot of people that quote stuff like that and they give people the wrong impression. They give people the impression that, you know, everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be great. And God's not going to give you too much. He's going to give you, there have been times in my life when I've had more than I could handle. And, and I consider it a personal weakness and my fault that I can't handle it. You know what I'm saying? It's not God's fault. But it's my, there are defects in my character, there are defects in me, that there, there are situations that I have been in situations that I could not handle those situations and stuff. And so if we're always telling people, God's not going to give you more than you can handle, we're setting people up for a fall. We're giving them a false idea of what God is like. God will purposefully give you things that you cannot handle. Um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 1. This is Paul speaking. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, in the first place, he's talking, Paul is talking about the, the Israelites and stuff and the struggles that they went through and the fact that they didn't pass those, those tests. And then he brings it down to himself. He says, And uh, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Listen to this. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Look at verse 6. He says, Now these things happened in the, as in examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by, this, by the destroyer. It says, Now these things happened in them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So, Again, Paul is saying, you know, these people, God, and, and that's the thing with the people in the wilderness, with the people that God, again, he brought them into the desert place, right? He brought them into the wilderness, and the wilderness is a place where God brings us. Same thing with Jesus. Jesus gets baptized. It says the devil took him straight away, or the spirit took him in the wilderness to be tempted by, tested by the devil and stuff. And it's in that wilderness, it's in that desert place that we meet God. And we can, we, can, we can learn how to rejoice in those situations and to, to lean on the power of God. And if we allow Him to do it in our lives and don't fight against the goads, don't kick against it, don't, don't struggle against what God is trying to do in our lives, it will, it will do a work in our hearts. And it will do that work that God is trying to do, right? Um, can I just say or, or question... And I could be wrong, but I think that that doesn't necessarily mean you thank him for the trouble, that you don't necessarily have to say, thank you, God, that I'm suffering, but that you don't grumble through it. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't mean that you can't pray for the suffering to end, and it doesn't mean that you, you can't want it to end. But yeah. You don't grumble against the Lord. You don't blame him. Um, right. And, yeah. And I think that, it, and this is the place of maturity, right? 
Because when we get born again, again, a, a lot of times we get saved because, you know, we need God to save us from our junk and from our troubles and our, our wrecked lives that we've done and, and things. And But God wants to bring us beyond that. He wants, he wants to bring us to maturity. And that is the whole thing that God is trying to do, is to bring us to maturity. And what do children do when they don't get their way? They grumble and complain, right? They, they whine about it and they're like, I don't want to do that and stuff. They are children, right? And many times we as believers are the same. We grumble about our situations. We grumble about our lives. We grumble about this is not the way that I want it to be and stuff. And God wants us to bring to that place, again, not to where we're like, thank you for this or anything like that. But we're like, God, I see your hand in this and, you know, I'm going to worship you anyway. And the thing about worship is, again, you know, we, we go to these churches that think that worship is just getting up and dancing and yelling and screaming and sh shaking the rafters and stuff. That is not always worship. Sometimes worship is laying down on your face before God and just saying, God, I don't understand. I don't know why I'm going through this. I can't hardly make it through this, but I just ask you for the strength and I praise you because you are God no matter what situation I'm in and you are worthy to be praised no matter what trial I'm experiencing. And that's when we begin to find maturity and that's when we begin to find the true nature of God and who God truly is. And Turn, she brought up that children are, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think personally that you can with maturity eventually get to the point where you can rejoice and thank him. I mean, you may yeah. be crying in one sense and laughing in another. I mean, because you, like I've been through several major things in life and, you know, now like if I see the tidal wave building, you know, it's more of just watching God and, and you can get to the point, thank you, because you yeah. do have this. You do know what you're doing. This is going to turn out to be great. And so you may be in great pain, but... Part of you can almost be laughing because you know that it's going to turn out for your benefit and yeah. all your enemies are going to have to fall. <laughs> and, you know, you you will survive. You will. He's got the victory. Only his kingdom and his glory matter. And if you're humble and in his hand, it will absolutely turn out in your favor. It'll mm. turn out in the favor of everybody that's in his hand <laughs> and that loves him. And so you can rejoice and you can be confident and you can know. And so that that does come with maturity because when you're a kid, you don't know that. Yeah. But after you've been through a few things, then you're like, you can get to that point, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like he like works it out so that the situation hardly ever changes, but like I end up changing. I end up, like things that I thought I would never change in or ways that I thought I would never be able to conquer in thankfulness or ways that I never like was afraid to stand up to certain things or was mm. afraid to be myself or was afraid like was in some way fraudulent or something um, whether in character or emotions or something like it seems like God is just purifying that, purifying that, purifying that so the situations don't change what happens is God like purifies, 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 purifies and that I'm real, I'm real with him. I'm, I'm like really <laughs> closer in my relationship with him, and yeah, and able able to overcome with him, you know. And that's the thing when we start grumbling, when we start finding fault with God, and you know, we do that, you know, it's like, um, 
many of us get so many people that I've seen that were following God at one time and are not following God now became angry at God. And they said, I'm not going to do this no more. And they said, this is not worth it to me. And it's the same situation where Jesus is saying, this is the opportunity right now to eat my flesh and drink my blood or to go the other way and stuff. And um, 2 Corinthians 1, verse, uh, verse 8. This is Paul speaking. He says, For we do want, want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we could not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So again, just this thought of, you know, um, God's not going to allow you to be to be um, tested beyond what you can bear and stuff. I, I mean, I, I think of that song that, uh, what is it called, uh, King of My Heart or whatever and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I love that song. I mean, uh, for that's, I mean, there are parts of that song that I love more than any other song that I've heard in years and stuff. I mean, like the verse, it says, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. And then the chorus, you are good good and then it says the second verse it says let the king of my heart be the wind inside my cells the anchor in the waves oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song and i just love that and i love the the melody and everything and stuff and i just i love that song and i just worship god and stuff until it comes to that point where it's like you'll never you're never going to let me down you're never going to let me down and stuff. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I hear breaks and I hear whistles and, and stuff. And it's like, no, God is going to let you down. And he is going to let you down on purpose so that you can find him. And just this this whole Jesus that we've made up, this fake plastic Jesus and uh, this, this Walmart store Jesus and like the Santa Claus and stuff. And he's going to just be there no matter what your situation is. And, oh, he he's not going to let you down. He's not going to let you have hard times. He's not going to let you have. Those persons will never, ever experience who Jesus truly is. See, I guess I don't consider that God letting me down. Ultimately, it's not. Well, sure. Ultimately, it's not. But you know, when you're in that situation, and maybe you've gone beyond that point to maturity and stuff, but when you're in that situation, it feels like it. And it feels like God is letting me down. It's like, God, I don't know if you've been there, but I have been on the floor saying, God, where are you? Where are you in this situation? It's raining hell all around me. And I don't see you. I don't feel you. I pray to you. I don't hear you. And I'm crying out to you. And I, it's, I don't, you're not there. But he is there. I feel like he watched there. me closely to see exactly what it would take to make me curse God. I feel like he knew what would just devastate and rip my life apart. And he brought it. And I did not curse God. I turned around and praised God and thanked God. And, yeah. you know, and so I feel like to, to me, I felt like at that moment, God's like, yes. <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those, 
those things that's extremely delightful to him. So here I am. I literally remember standing in the shower feeling like I have to be bleeding because I feel like I'm bleeding inside like everything, you know, is raw and bleeding. But I also never felt God's pleasure as much as turning around saying I will not, you know, because I know my enemy. Yeah. And I know he does not decide to curse God, you know, because I've read the story of Job. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to be mm -hmm. that person, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So I may not understand, but I do understand it's my enemy, uh, you know. And mm -hmm. I do understand that God's going to use it somehow, to, you know, to perfect me into, into his glory and eternal reward. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I press mm -hmm. on and I keep going, so... Yeah, I've definitely been there. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the thing, and that is the place where God is trying to bring us to, is that place where it's like, and that's the thing, Jesus, you know, the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, and so many of us, we, we still, it's like, you know, we're Christians, but we have crutches, you know, and stuff. And we, we still want to be able to touch. We still want to be able to feel. And it's like, God, you there? You know, it's like a kid that's afraid of the dark and like he leaves his door open. And he's like, Mom, Dad, y'all still there? <laughs> you know, and stuff. And a lot of times we as believers are like that and stuff. And, and again, that is the thing that God is trying to get us to is that place of dependency on him. That place where we trust that he's there. It's like, I may not be able to feel you, I may not sense you, I may not see you, I may not hear you, but I know that you're there. And I just, because your word says that you are, and because it's your your nature. Um, so back to Job's friends. Again, his friends weren't there to try to tear him down, his friends weren't there to make his time harder and stuff. Um, his friends, and, and this is where... The book is a little confusing for people because some of the things that they say to him are 100% right on doctrinally. All right? Some of the things that Job's friends say are doctrinally right and stuff, and they're doctrinally um, the word of God, but it's how they're applying it to Job that's wrong. Does that make sense? Um, let's see, where are we at? So in Job 3, Job begins to vent about his problems. Um, turn to Job 6. Again, we're just kind of going to rush through some of this stuff because what happens is Job begins to argue with his friends. And like any argument, have you, have you ever heard friends arguing? It's like if you're standing on the outside looking in, it, it, it can just go on and on and on. And it's like, oh, come on, guys, and stuff. And, and it tends to escalate. And so that's what the book of Job does. And that's why we don't have to go through it verse by verse or really kind of uh, delve deep into it because what happens is we're going to see some of the characteristics of what's going on and those things just keep repeating throughout the book. Okay? So in Job 6 verse, um, uh, verse 8. So now we know that it said in chapter 2 that in all these things Job didn't sin against God his wife tells him to curse God and die and Job's like no I'm not going to do it I'm going to worship him and naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will go back and though even though he slay me yet will I worship him 
and stuff. And then uh, Job 6 verse um, verse 8. So again, these are just long things of just them talking and talking and talking, but we'll just kind of pull out some of the things. In Job 6 verse 8, he's, Job is saying, Oh, that my request might come to pass and that God would grant my longing. Would that God were willing to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. So, Job's beginning to feel sorry for himself. Now, again, he started off doing really well. And I think that I've seen this happen a lot of times in trials. People start off well, and then they start to feel sorry for themselves. Right? They start to like, God, how, you know, why me? How long is this going to go on? And like, and then, and then, you know, you know how kids are, right? Oh, well, why don't you just kill me or you know something like that job is starting to be kind of childlike with god oh that he would just crush me that he would just get it over with and do it and stuff and so job starts to vent and he starts to say the same things that we do whenever we go through trials what do we do we start venting yeah. why is this happening to me i know yeah i'll say god just take me out yeah why, why are you keeping me around just take me out you know like what good am i and then god's like up. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, exactly. okay. <laughs> and so just like all, and these are similarities, and that's why I love this book. That's why I love the Bible because, you know, the Bible doesn't whitewash stuff. The Bible doesn't try to, you know, make people look better than they are. It doesn't try to make people look worse than they are. It says this is the way this person is. Okay, and then in chapter eight, so Job has three friends. The first one, Bildad, begins to speak to him in verse one. It says, Then Bildad the Shuhai answered, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a mighty wind? In other words, you're just air. <laughs> says, Do God, Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert what is right? If your son sinned against him, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. Now again, we're going to start to see that Job's friends start ascribing are starting to say underneath that, well, the reason why you're going through this is because there's some sin going on. And they're like, well, you know, if your son sinned, then, you know, that's why they got crushed, essentially, right? And I don't know how many times you've been in a situation where life is tough, life is hard, and someone's kind of suggesting that, well, maybe there's some sin in your life. And sometimes there is, right? And if there is sin in our lives, we want brothers and sisters who will tell us, look, you got sin in your life. You need to get it right. You need to deal with that. You need to repent and do right, right? In gentleness and in love, right? But at the same time, there are times when it's just raining on us and, and we're trying to follow God the best that we can. We're trying to seek Him. We're trying to serve Him. We're trying to do what's right. And someone's like, Oh, well, you know, the reason why this is going on is because there's something in your life. And I've had many occasions when someone has, has suggested that or even flat out said it. I'll do it to myself. I just think I must be, I must be doing yes, something do. not right. Like, and that's true. And that's the thing, too. And, and that's the thing that we have to realize is that when we're saying it ourselves, it's no different than someone else saying right. it. And, and in the same way that, that, that it's wrong for other people to do that, it's wrong for us to do that with ourselves. If we are to judge rightly someone else's life, we are also to judge rightly our own lives. And it doesn't mean that we are to be, you know, you know um, self-righteous or anything like that. And we all have a tendency to do that. But if we look down at our lives and say, God, what's really going on here? 
I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got issues. I know I've got this in my life. And, I, you know, I'm trying to get you to deal with those things. I'm trying to, to, to um, be free of those things, to surrender and stuff like that. But as far as I can, I'm trying to follow you right now. And, and you know, and stuff. And, and so there, when, when we're doing that, God, uh, again, wants us, because that can, that can hold us back. We can hold ourselves back in the same way that someone speaking to us can. Right? Yeah, we can. There are times though God's been yeah. like, yeah, this is sin. You know, so yeah. You do this. Yeah, like, definitely. Like, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> right. Well, he says, examine your heart to see if you're in the faith. I mean, clearly we're supposed to examine ourselves, you know. Yeah, and he says after that, if you, um, uh, he says, um, many are sick among you and stuff. He says, if you had judged yourself rightly, this would not be that way. Yeah. And stuff. And so God wants us to judge ourselves. And that's the whole thing with God. God is not. He doesn't want to punish us for no reason. He's, he's not uh, an abusive father. He doesn't punish us for, with, when there's no reason. And sometimes from our own family situations or from our past and stuff, we're kind of like that. You know, we're like maybe, maybe our own parents or something like that. And we're like, we're kind of like a dog that's been hit too many times. And we're like, oh, what, what did I do? You know, and stuff. And God's like, you didn't do anything. And so in those, and, and, and in those places, we have to accept God's peace and say, okay, mm-hmm. then then continue your work in me. And stuff. Which along those lines, um, if, if you sincerely ask the Lord, Lord, is there sin in my life? And you honestly want to know and you honestly want to repent and he doesn't show you anything, then there's like obviously a very high likelihood that, that there's nothing that he's disciplining you for or he would have told you because right. like what you're saying, you wouldn't be... An abusive father that would just spank you and not tell yeah. you why. He's, he's not like a, a mad dad that's just mad at you and you don't just, know what you did or why he's, he's mad at you and stuff like that. that the the holy you. he gave us the Holy Spirit to to lead us into truth, to guide us and to to convict us of sin yeah. and stuff. And so if we have the Holy Spirit in us, He will tell us, "Look, you're acting like an idiot." Yeah, you know. There's a difference of is there sin in me, God, and why me, why me? You know. Yeah. I thought one time I was asking why me, why me, and He's like, why not you? Like, <laughs> would you put this on? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Would you put this on some right. lady in Africa that has AIDS and, you know, <laughs> has no food for her children? Is that who you would put this on? You know, it's like, it's why not you? Verse 5, it says, if you would seek God, so again, Bildad is like, if you would just seek God, implore the compassion of the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate. Though your beginning was insignificant, yet your end will increase greatly. Please inquire past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. So again, what these guys are saying are right, in that if you were in sin then God would be punishing you for that, right? But what did we see about Job in the first chapter? He was upright, blameless, and turning his heart toward God continually and stuff. So what they're saying does not apply to him. And again, I think that we have probably been on both sides of that thing. We have probably falsely judged people before and probably said, you know, you need to deal with these things when God wasn't doing that. And we've probably been on the other side when people say, oh, there's sin in your life or something. Look at verse 20. It says, Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. And so, again, it's just this, um, that's Bildad. That's one of Job's friends and stuff. Um, Look at Job chapter 11. 
So basically, we're just kind of looking at all three of Job's friends. So again, we, we saw that when they first came to Job, they, they're like, they got together and said, man, our brother Job is having these tough circumstances. He's going through these really hard times. Let's go be with him. And they saw the condition that he's in. They tore their robes. They wept. And they just sat in the dirt with him for seven days. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard enough to find someone that will go through with you through trials and circumstances. Mm-hmm. But again, they're, they're not judging the, the circumstances rightly. And again, they, they are godly men. They are saying the word of God. They are saying right things about God, but they're applying it to the wrong person. And in uh, Job chapter 11, verse 13, this is Zophar. This is one of the other friends. He says, if you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. Then indeed you could lift up your face without moral defect and you would be steadfast and not fear. For you would forget your trouble as waters have passed by, by you would remember it. So again, he's saying like, if you would get the sin out of your life, if you would deal with those things, then everything would be great. Look at verse 20. He says, but the eyes of the wicked will fail and there will be no escape for them and their hope is to breathe their last. Now again, if you're Job and your friends are saying these things to you, when again, God himself said he is righteous, he's blameless, he's turning continually turning away from evil and your friends are saying, look, Job, if you just get the sin, you know, God doesn't deal with sin. God doesn't, he doesn't dwell with sin. He doesn't, he doesn't look favorably on it. And he's like, if you'll get this sin out of your life, Job, then everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be okay. God's going to be nice to you again. So again, what they're saying is right stuff, but they're saying it to the wrong person. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and so, like, yeah, turn to John 9. Verse 1. This is Daniel trying to steal my stuff. And see, and this is, and, and, and okay, so good people will do this, but also the main people that do this are religious people. And we... You know, the the world a lot of times doesn't want anything to do with the church because the church just looks down their noses at everyone, right? And it's like, oh, I can't be with these sinners. Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And, you know, again, uh, if you look at it in an unsanitized way, in the way that it actually probably was, these guys probably didn't have the best language. Some of the things that they, and I'm not, you know, I think that Jesus, you know, again, we, we, we talk about this friendship evangelism and stuff. And, and what happens for a lot of us is, is we don't actually have an effect on the friends that we're trying to evangelize. As a matter of fact, a lot of times we become more like them than they become like us. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Jesus was that way. But at the same time, they were comfortable around him. Sinners were comfortable around Jesus. Sinners that we know are not comfortable at the church. They are not comfortable around believers for the most part and stuff. And a lot of it is because of our attitudes and the way that we treat unbelievers. Unbelievers, the, the thing is, is the Bible wants us, it says we are to judge believers, not unbelievers. 
and stuff. We are to judge the things in the church. That's what our job is. And it's so funny because even the church has it backwards because anytime you talk to a believer about their sins, they're like, well, the Bible says don't judge lest you be judged. And so, and the Bible says we are to judge the things within the church. It says the things that the outsiders do, that's their own thing. Sinners are going to sin, right? And that's not that we, 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 we excuse it or we, you know, I mean, the thing is, is we try to have an influence with them, but we do it in gentleness and love. And we're like trying to help them see, to understand, look, <laughs> there's a better way, you know? And it's not, we're not like, you filthy sinner, you disgust me and stuff. And it's like, how is anyone going to get saved that way? And the whole thing is, is the church is to be a light, an example. And it says, they will know that you are my believers by your love for one another and stuff. And that is something that we as the church has lost. And it's because it's this religious spirit that looks at everybody and says, well, you know, if you were following God, you know, it wouldn't be like this. And there is truth to that, right? Oh, okay. Anyway, so John 9, verse 1. And we'll read this whole chapter. It says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be warm blind? Now, as I say that, obviously, I don't want to be misconstrued because, you know, Jesus healed a lot of people, he called a lot of people, and he loved a lot of people and drew a lot of people through to him by his love. But he didn't just leave it at that, right? Again, to his disciples, he says, look, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. So it wasn't just always this squishy Jesus that's full of love and full of mercy and full of all this stuff. And it's just like, yeah, come to me and you can be any way that you want to be and I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to, it's not that at all. Jesus is loving, Jesus is accepting, and he wants all men to be saved, but he has his standards. And he says, look, if you're going to be my disciple, this is the way that it's got to be. It can't be the way that you want it to be. It's got to be this way. It's got to be my way. And that way is the way of the cross. That way is laying down your life and being my disciple and laying down your sins and following me with all of your heart. Okay? So John 9, verse 1, it says, He passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Again, this, was, this is the religious man's concept, is that these, this man was blind because of his sin. It says, But Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but that it was that so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So we all know the thing Jesus goes through and he heals the man and, and stuff. And in verse 13, he says, They brought the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. And so now it was on a Sabbath day, on the, on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to him, to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And again, part of the reason why these guys were mad is because Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. So many times in the New Testament, when Jesus would heal or do something on the Sabbath day, the religious people would just freak out. Well, this is the Sabbath, and you can't be doing stuff. You can't even today. They, they, you know, a lot of the Jewish people won't go to certain places in the Sabbath, and they have all these rules. 
But Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, right? And so the whole thing is, is everything Jesus did was to set people free. And that's what Christianity is about, is setting people free, delivering people from their sins. It's not looking down our religious noses and judging people and, and um, you know, and just, right, looking down our noses and stuff. Um, in verse, uh, says, uh, verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, Who do you say, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him and that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So they go through all this stuff, and it's like, no, no, you're this sinner. And again, this is the spirit that Job's friends were tossing on him. They're like, you're in sin, and that's why this has happened to you. And you know, things don't just happen because people are in sin. There, people, there, there is Satan. Things, things that are bad in the world happen because of the direct actions of Satan, right? Satan is in the world, and he's seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, right? That's his purpose. He wants to bring havoc. He wants to destroy lives. So a lot of things that happen in our lives are directly from Satan. A lot of the things that are in our lives are because of the choices that we make. Doesn't it say in Galatians, you will reap what you sow, right? Do not be deceived. Whatever a man reaps, that he will sow too. So a lot of things that are, and that's the thing too, is a lot of times we, we do stupid things and we think that God's just going to override all that and God's going to make it all better. But sometimes God will allow us to experience the pain so that we can learn not to do that again, right? It's like the kid that touches the hot stove or whatever. He's not going to do that again because he touched the stove. And it's not cruel for that parent to do that. I'm not saying like make it super hot or anything like that. But sometimes, I'm just, I'm just saying, sometimes we That's learn why the hard way. My hand. You deserve it. But And that is the thing. I think most of the suffering in this world is because of sin. Uh, I mean, you read the newspapers. Directly, directly, I mean, directly, directly, yeah, directly. you know, well, it's all because of sin, actually. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, directly, and, and there are right. there are curses on nations that don't follow God, you know, and stuff. And you look at some of the nations of the world that are, that that are just struggling and stuff, and you see that there's just rampant sin, and 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 it's like you know. I think that it's like those um, transformation videos that we watch at the time and, and stuff and how uh, the people in Guatemala, how they start after they started following God, the fruit that they were harvesting were just huge and stuff and, and because God's blessing was on it and stuff. And God has promised to bless if we will follow him and stuff. But again, we choose not to do that. And a lot of times the corruption that is in nations through their governments and through the highest authorities, you know, 
a lot of these we are the world things and people gave all this money and stuff and very little of that actually reached the people because the people that were in authority put a lot of that in their pockets and stuff. So again, it's a direct result of sin and people's, you know, and, and just um, people, ref and that's a direct result of Satan too, you know, if you think about it because it's like Satan, you know, so it all works together and stuff. But, you know, and some of it is just circumstances. You know, sometimes bad things just happen. You know, a lot of times your car won't start, you know, and you're like, you know, it's like, I don't know if I'm against it necessarily or not against it, but like a lot of times, like our car won't work and we'll just pray over it and stuff like that. I'm, I'm just saying sometimes things happen. You know, sometimes your car just doesn't start. It's broke. It needs to be fixed. You need a new car, you know, or, or you know, your washer is, is broke and stuff. Money. Yeah, you know, and stuff. And so there are things that happen in our lives sometimes that are just nothing more than circumstances. And, and you know, and so we live in a world, the Bible says in, in Acts 17, I think it is, through many trials and tribulations, we must go to enter the kingdom of God. And so, and the thing is, is, is again, we get in our mindsets that, that God's just, we, we've got this blessing Jesus that's just going to, you know, this whole prosperity gospel does not work in third world countries. The prosperity gospel only works in countries that are affluent, that have money and stuff. Um, Paul, Paul, you know, yeah, they, they yeah. man, you know what? I, I, I read this story, not like a week ago or something where this uh, associate pastor bought his wife a $200,000 Lamborghini. And it's like we, the church right now is the richest that it's ever been. The church has more money. The church has more resources than it's ever had before. And yet, I think that we're doing the least. The church in the book of Acts, they had nothing. Like when they healed the blind person, he, he was begging them for money. And they're like, silver and gold, we don't have. But what we have in the name of Jesus is rock and stuff. And so we, we live in, a, in an era where the church has more resources, more money, more machinery than it's ever had. But I think that we're doing less with it than we've ever had, than we've ever done. I don't and, think those people realize they're going to be accountable. They're taking widow and orphan money and they're squandering it on selfish living and they don't realize they're supposed to be giving and helping widows and orphans, not squandering their money. And so they're, I think, in for a big shock in eternity. If yeah. they make it there, they're not going to have very much for all eternity as far as their reward because... They were given their reward here. They already yeah. it up. Turn to Luke chapter 16. In verse 19. And Jesus himself said, Many on that day, he says, Many of the first are going to be last. And many of those that were last are going to be first. In Luke 16, verse 19, he says, There was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And again, if you're in America, we're wealthier than most everyone in the world. I mean, there are countries, there, there are many countries where they don't have one car, much less two cars, where their houses are nothing like this when they're just huts. 
It says, And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted, his, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am, ag I am in agony in this flame. Now you think about this. This, this rich man's house, he, he lived in splendor every day, and he has this bum, this guy living on the streets, right across the street. I wonder if he ever did anything to help this guy. But now that he's in torment, he wants Lazarus to dip his tongue, his finger in water and put it on his tongue. So, you know, now he wants this beggar who, as far as we know, he never lifted a finger to help. Now he wants him to help him. He says in verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is fixed a great chasm, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able to, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So here you have this, this religious person. He's, he's speaking to Abraham. He, he's listened to Moses and the prophets. And stuff, and he lived sumptuously, he lived in splendor every day, and he died, and he stands before the Lord, and he gets sent to the place of torment. And, La and Lazarus, who had nothing, he was a beggar on the streets, he goes into the presence of God. And so, the thing is, is, is I think that, again, we, we want a life that's good, we want a life that's blessed, and, you know, I, I think the older that I get, the more I'm starting to see that, you know what? All this stuff is fading away. All this stuff that we put so much stock into means nothing. And if, go to one more place. Go to Psalm um, 90. And one of the things that, that when you read the book of Job that you see, and if you're really kind of looking behind the scenes and you're trying to see what God is, is really doing here, you see that God, you know, again, we are so concerned with the here and now. We are so concerned with our daily trials and the daily things that we're going through and stuff. And in the scheme of eternity, it's a blink of an eye. It's gone. And eternity is forever. And we're so concerned with these tiny things that when we get before God, it's not going to matter. These things that we think are so important, we're, you know, it's, it's like this didn't matter at all. And the Bible says, don't store your treasures on earth where rust and must, rust and must, rust and must, rust and moth decay, but store up your treasures in heaven. 
and stuff. And and so God is not concerned what the, with the things that we are doing on this earth, trying to be comfortable, trying to have good lives, trying to have... God is concerned with the eternal things and what we're doing. That And it's those things which will last. It's those things, the times when we prayed for someone when we didn't feel like praying for someone, right? When it's at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's like, I just want to sleep. And God's saying, you need to pray for this person. Those are the things that last. The times when you, you, you give someone money secretly and they don't know. The times when, you, you know, these are the things that last. The times when you lay down your life for somebody else and you don't think about yourself. You don't think about your own comfort. You don't think about your own pleasures, your own lives, your own this, your own that. You're thinking about, God, what does this person need? Even your own needs. Yeah. Sometimes we think we justify. Well, I I can think about my own needs, but yeah. sometimes in, even in Corinthians where they it says they gave out of their need, and so they didn't even consider their own need, and they gave anyway. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not saying that we become like weird like monks, you know, and just live <laughs> off five dollars a day and never shave or bathe or anything like that, you know, and stuff. I mean, there's a balance to all that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> Don't we all? But, you know, and that, and that's the thing. I mean, God, we should enjoy the blessing that God gives us, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And even Lydia was a seller of purple in the, in the New Testament. Purple was reserved for kings and for noble people. So the cloth that she sold was sold at a high price, okay? So we can infer from that that she made a pretty good living. Now, when they started really cracking down on, on Christians and started persecuting Christians and putting them to death, we don't know the end of that story, right? We don't know what she went through ultimately. Maybe she gave her life. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. But the thing is, is that having stuff from God, being, even Job. Job was the wealthiest man in that part of the world, right? So there's not even Abraham. Abraham was the richest man. So Having possessions, having things is not sin, but it's them having your heart that's sin, right? And what are we living our lives for? Are we living our lives for our things, or are we living our lives to to do the will of God, to to meet people's needs, to bless others, to lay down our lives for other people, and to follow the way of Jesus, which is like, you know, whatever I have to do to follow the will of the Father, that's what I'm going to do, right? And in Psalm 90, verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. So again, God, when He looks, He doesn't see it as we do. I mean, and that's one thing. The older I get, the more I'm starting to think about, like, eternity, right? Because basically, I'm on the downhill side now, right? You, we're only going to live so long in this world. And so, and it's like, you know, it's like, man, we got to start doing things that matter. We got to start doing things that, that, that last, that, that are going to count, that are going to, that are going to have purpose and stuff. Because I, you know, I'm starting to realize that we are mortal. You know, when you're young, it's like, you, you don't even think about things like that. Cause you think you're going to live forever. You're 10 foot tall and you're bulletproof and you know, you, you can do anything and stuff. But when you start getting a little older, you start thinking about those things. And, and, and I think that that's, I think God does that and stuff. And in verse, um, was it 20? No. Oh, verse 12. 
Look at this. He says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And so, again, I think that one of the purposes of trials, one of the purposes of life experiences is to, to get us, because when you're young, you're just going 100 miles an hour. You, you, you don't even think about the future, really. You don't even, you don't even, you're just, you're just living, right? And so, but as you start to get older, you start to, you start to say like, okay, you know, you, you start to wonder how you can make your life matter, how you can do things that, that you know, because we're going to be standing before God, before all of us in this room are going to be standing before God like that. I mean, for some of us, it seems longer than others of us and stuff, but truly, all of us are going to be standing before God. And, and so our trials, the things that we go to, these are all the maturation process. And these are the things God is trying to, 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 he's trying to polish us like a diamond. He's, and that's how God sees us. He sees us as the pure gold. He sees us as the, the finished product. He sees us as the masterpiece and the, the beauty and the, the, the ultimate of, of his creation. And that's what he is trying to mold us into. That's the, what he's trying to get us into. And if we allow the trials, if we allow the hard things to mold us and to shape us into the diamond, into the, the gold and stuff, then when we stand before him, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And, and that's the purpose. That's, that's why... And, and again, when we go through these things, if we realize, you know, this is temporary. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how hard it may seem. I don't care, like, if it, if I, if it seems like just it's just going to collapse. If, you know, if it's all falling apart, if it's just all raining down on my head and stuff, this is temporary. And that's what got Paul through his trials. That's what... The Bible says Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We know that soon we're going to... There's a song that we used to sing in church. Um, it said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Um, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And this world is an illusion, in a lot of senses. And again, I, I don't want us to become these weird people that are like, <laughs> you know, stuff. but seriously, I mean, this, it's all just an illusion. It's all just, it's all, it, you know, it's all just something that, that we are passing through. And the only thing that will matter is when we become what he wants us to be. When we, 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 we pass those tests and he says, well done, my good servant, you know, and he, and he, we pass those tests and we can feel the joy of the Lord. We can, we can feel him saying to us, man, you passed that test. You did good and stuff. And, and, you know, um, if we can look at it in those ways and, and we can become those people rather than the grumblers and the complainers who got laid waste in the wilderness because they would never pass the test. You think, do, do, God did not take those people in the wilderness. It was not his plan. It was not his desire that they spend 40 years in the wilderness in the first place. And secondly, that they die there. 
God's desire, his purposes, his wish, his hope, his, his whole plan was to bring them into the promised land. That's what he wanted for them. He never wanted them to die in the wilderness. And for each one of us, God wants us to pass the test. He wants us to become a people who love him, who serve him, who, who can just rejoice in no matter what we're going through. And that's when we become like him, and that's when we, we truly know him. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Oh. And I was just thinking, um, too, because like, one of my weaknesses